Well, again, I want to welcome you. Welcome to church. Welcome to Big Valley Grace here on the Modesto campus. And welcome to everyone who's watching online. It's season of Christmas is in full swing. It's wonderful to come together and, and to worship together. And there, there's one more card uh, that Pastor Rick told you to ignore uh, for the moment. And that's this card. And it's in your printed program, and it has opportunities for you to sign up in different ways also, ushers, greeters, parking lot. Last night at the family dinner table, my seven-year-old son informed us all that he signed up to bake cookies. (laughs) And so if you get a cookie that Kean made, we cannot vouch if all the ingredients end up in that cookie correctly, but... You know, the, the dinner table at my house is always a lot of fun. Uh, we have 11 over for dinner every night. And, you know, it's a great time of just sharing. And we have this little daily bread. It's this little plastic bread, you know, and it's got verses in it. And right after we get done praying for a meal, every time we sit down and have family dinner, you know, one of the two of the kids, they, just, they try to race to the shelf to get that daily bread. And they bring it to the table, and we pull a verse out. It's real simple. It's one verse on either side of the slip of paper, and we read it. And It's just neat to see how that stirs conversation around the, the dinner table. And having a, this Christmas series that we're in and using this book, Unwrapping the Names of Jesus, the Advent Devotional, my, that was a, an easy thing to tie into just our normal time to where they're asking, hey, let's read today's devotional from the Christmas book. And my encouragement to you is to have those types of times as a family that you would enjoy just having simple conversation around the Word of God, around the meal. I I remember as a young boy going to my grandparents' house, they lived in Fresno, and at mealtime, my grandfather would open up to the Proverbs, and he would read the beginning of the Proverb line, and my grandmother would finish it. They just had it memorized because they had done it for so many years to read the scripture out loud. So my encouragement to you is to build, you build, you build a heritage of having the word of God and and talking about the word of God uh, at your mealtimes with your family. And each week in this Christmas season, we're taking one of the names of Jesus that's in this Advent devotional. We're pulling it out and we're saying, okay, we want to, we want to unwrap it at some greater length. And so last weekend here on the Modesto campus, Pastor Rick Countryman And on the series campus, Pastor Brandon Peterson, they unwrapped one of the names of Jesus, and it was the Word of God. Well, today we're going to do the same thing. We're going to take one of the names of Jesus out of the Advent devotional. In fact, it's week three, day one, and the name of Jesus that we're going to unwrap together today is the Great High Priest, Great High Priest. And my encouragement to you would be to take your Bible and turn to Hebrews chapter 4, verses 4 through 16, uh, 14 through 16, excuse me. And if you don't have a Bible, we want to give you a Bible uh, right after the gathering today. Just come to the altar room. In fact, I'm going to invite you to come there for a different reason also when we get done here today. But we would love to give you a Bible as a free gift. We want you to have the Word of God. I think the note sheets that are in your printed program will be helpful to you as we walk through this passage Um, You know, as we look at these names of Jesus, the names of Jesus, they help us understand a characteristic or maybe an action or, or some of the things that Jesus did in his life. The name of Jesus, it helps us to understand it. And as we look at this name of Jesus, the great high priest... Uh, I think one of the ways that's going to really help us understand what does this name of Jesus mean and represent is through the accomplishments of Jesus. And I'll state it in this way. I can unwrap the name 
great high priest by understanding the accomplishments of Jesus. And this is three verses that we'll look at, and we're going to pull out an accomplishment from each one of the verses. And so we'll read it here together. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Isn't that an incredible passage? So encouraging as we begin to unwrap this name great high priest. Now, this passage can be understood from a lot of different angles. In my preparation time, I listened to a number of preaching pastors preach through this, mess, or this, this section here, and they were all completely different. This passage is rich, and it's full of theological history and heritage. And what we're going to focus in on today is just what does this passage communicate to us about the accomplishments of Jesus in his role as the great high priest What did he accomplish? The first one we're going to look at is found in verse 14, and it's that Jesus is, this is accomplishment number one, Jesus is my living redeemer. He's alive. He's alive now. And Jesus is my living redeemer. In verse 14, it says this, since then we have, not had, but we have currently, since then we have, because he's alive, a great high priest who has passed Through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. So this verse is really explaining to us that we have something in our possession since we have. And what we have in our possession is a great high priest. We have access to a great high priest. And that great high priest has gone through heaven. And he is Jesus and he is the Son of God. And we are to hold fast to our confession about what? About Jesus. Our confession about Jesus being our great high priest, being the one who has gone through the heavens. And so we want to consider this idea of great high priest. Now, great high priest, it's three words, and each of the words are really important. And the phrase is built from the back forward. So we're going to unpack this term, great high priest, one word at a time, but we're going to do it backwards because it'll help us see the building blocks. And so 1.1 in your notes is priest. What is a priest? What is the role of a priest? Now, when I say the word priest, some things might come to your mind. You might have images of a person dressed in, in a certain way. I have been called priest sometimes. It always catches me by great surprise when someone does that. And I, I think, who are they speaking of? And then I realize they're talking about me. And I'm, I'm, oh, I'm the priest? Okay. And when someone calls me priest, when they find out that, you know, I, I do what I'm doing right now, it, it kind of tells me a little bit maybe about their background, right? Kind of helps me understand them a little bit more and maybe the culture or, or the traditions that they grew up in. But as we look at the scripture, the scripture has much to say about what a priest is. And in the book of Hebrews... Hebrews does, the writer does a great job of summarizing some of these key aspects of what a priest is and what a priest did, kind of summarizing the Old Testament Levitical system, the sacrificial system. And so we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. And in here, we begin to see a summary 
of what a priest does. Now, even the first covenant had regulations for worship and an earthly place of holiness. For a tent was prepared, the first section in which were the lampstand and the table and the bread of presence. It's called the holy place. So here in this verse, the writer is summarizing really this purpose of the the Old Testament sacrificial system and and what the tent of meeting was. And that's what they called it. It was a physical tent. They called it the tent of meeting. Initially, it's where Moses would come to meet with God. And there was two primary sections of this tent of meeting. The first section is described at the end of verse two right there. And it's called the holy place. And the priest would go in there daily. In Hebrews 9, verse 6, it continues on to help us understand. It says, these preparations thus having been made, that is this first section and all that was in this first section, the priests go regularly into the first section performing their ritual duties. So in this first section of the tent of meeting called the holy place, the priest would go into that area daily and the priest would have a ministry a daily ministry of intercession it was intercession in prayer to God on behalf of the people and of offering sacrifices on behalf of the people to God and so when the priest daily would serve in the whole the holy place It was a visual reminder to everyone of the need to humbly daily come before God, to seek a covering of our sin, to seek mercy, to seek forgiveness. And the priest served as an illustration of that. Now, if you want to do some studying on your own this week, I would encourage you to check out Ephesians chapter 5. In Ephesians chapter 5, we see where the role of a priest, it parallels in some way with the role of a Christian husband the role of a Christian husband. And as you continue reading in Ephesians 5 and 6, you'll see the role of a Christian father, the role of a Christian uh, business owner, or the role of a Christian worker. Because the role of a priest was to daily have intercessory prayer to God on behalf of the people. And the role of a Christian husband is to daily have intercessory prayer to God on behalf of his spouse. And if intercessory prayer, you say, well, that sounds really frightening, that big word, and it's a daunting task, and I don't know where to start, I would just give you two simple tips. The first tip is this, that when you read scripture and the living word of God begins to stir in you to obey God, you would pray for those very same things for your spouse. You would pray those very same things for your kids, for those you work with, for your neighbors. And the second tip I would give you is to read some of the great intercessory prayers that are found in Scripture. And if you want to go straight to the the cheat sheet, the cliff notes, go to John chapter 17. And in John chapter 17, you're going to see how Jesus spent time praying for you. And when you realize how Jesus prayed for you, pray those same things for your spouse. Pray those things for your children. Pray those things for those you work with, those who live in your neighborhood. So we see the role of a priest is one of daily intercession, of prayer to God on behalf of the people, but also a daily ministry of intercession, offering sacrifices on behalf of the people 
to God. And so the next word that we're going to unpack in, in our name of Jesus that we're looking at today, the next word is high. And this is 1.2 in your notes. High priest. What makes a high priest unique? What's, what's different about a high priest than a priest? Well, again, we're going to look in Hebrews for a really a summarized explanation. And in chapter 9, verse 3, we begin. It says, behold, the second curtain. Remember, there was the first curtain, and that was the holy place. Now, behold, the second curtain was a second section called the most holy place, having the golden altar of incense and the ark of the covenant covered on all sides with gold, in which was a golden urn holding the manna and Aaron's staff that budded and the tablets of the covenant. It's describing here testimonial witnesses from the Exodus account that you can read about in Exodus. Above it were the cherubim of the glory overshadowing the mercy seat of these things which cannot now speak in detail. He's just saying there's so much to know about the temple, about the tent of meeting. You know, I can't repeat it all right here. There's just too much to speak in detail right here. So the second section here in the tent of meeting, we get a glimpse of what's contained in there, and this is where the, the high priest would serve, as we see as it picks it up in verse 7 of chapter 9. It says, but into the second, only the high priest goes, and he but once a year, and not without taking blood, which he offers for himself and for the unintentional sins of the people. By this, the Holy Spirit indicates that the way into the holy places is not yet opened as long as the first section is still standing. What is this saying? It is saying simply this. The earthly tent of meeting had two sections, the holy place and the most holy place. And as long as the first section's still there where a priest has to come in daily to the holy place, it's an indicator that you do not have direct access to the most holy place. The purpose of the earthly tent of meeting was to be a representation of the reality of heaven, that there is a holy of holies in heaven, that there is a most holy place in heaven in the presence of God Almighty. And as long as this first example in the earthly tent of meeting is present, it's an indicator we do not currently have direct access. And so this is how the Old Testament system is set up and will continue. It says, according to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper, but they deal only with food and drink and various washings, regulations for the body imposed until the time of reformation. So the high priest, the high priest is uniquely allowed to enter into the most holy place once a year to seek a temporary covering for the sin of the people of God. So understanding that this earthly tent of meeting was a picture of the heavenly reality, it's important to understand that the high priest, once a year, when he went into the most holy place, he was literally going before the throne of God. And he would make a sacrifice, offer a sacrifice on behalf of his own sins, the sins of the people. And if the high priest were to come out that meant he was alive, and that was a good thing. And everybody would rejoice because the high priest came out because that meant God accepted the sacrifice that was offered and that their sins were covered for a year. But they had an insurance policy. They had bells that they put on the rope so you could hear the high priest as he was doing the work, and they tied a rope around his waist because what happens if the high priest does not perform his functions correctly. Well, he might die in the presence of God and they need a way to get him out. So they have a rope and they'd be able to pull him out. It's a bit of a risky job being the high priest. 
This brings us to the last word that we unwrap in this name of Jesus, which is 1.3, and it is great high priest. What makes Jesus great? What makes him the great high priest? Why is Jesus greater than all of the other high priests? Well, I'm going to give you four reasons that we'll look at of why he's the great high priest. And the first one, again, we'll be looking at some passages in Hebrews to summarize it, but also we're going to look at a, a section of the gospel. In Hebrews 7, 23 through 25, it says this, the former priests, because there was lots of them, were many in number. Why? Because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. Why were there so many high priests? Well, they died. So when the high priest died, you got to get a new one. When that high priest died, you got to get a new one. So there's a whole bunch of them. But Jesus holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. And so consequently, Jesus is able to save to the other most, those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Why is Jesus the great high priest? Why is he better than every other high priest? The first reason is simply this. Jesus lives forever to make intercession for you. No other high priest was able to do that. The, another reason that we'll find is in Hebrews 9, verses 11 and 12. It says, but when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, so what's it saying? It's saying not through the earthly tent, but the realities of, of heaven through, through that, he entered once for all into the holy places. It's, it's saying into heaven not by means of the blood of goats and calves, so not by means in the way the earthly tent operated where the high priest would come in and offer the blood of a goat or a calf, but by means of his own blood, the blood of Christ, thus securing an eternal redemption. So in the way that the high priest would go in once per year to seek a temporary covering of sin by offering the blood of a goat or a calf, Jesus has been able to enter in to the holy of holies, most holy place in heaven by the means of his own blood. And so the second reason that he is the great high priest, greater than any other high priest, is because Jesus gave his body and blood to secure our forgiveness and eternity. Amen. Now another reason we find in the Gospels, and here in this account, it is the account of Jesus on the cross. So it's during the crucifixion that this account is being recorded here, and we we learn something incredible about Jesus as the great high priest. And it says this in Matthew 27, 45 through 46. It says, now from the sixth hour, there was darkness all over the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then we skip towards to verse 50. It says, and Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. So at this moment of the crucifixion, where Jesus now yields up his spirit, and he dies, it says this, and behold, the curtain of the temple. Now the temple was kind of like tent of meeting 2.0, okay, so that was an actual building. Same thing, though, two rooms with curtains, the holy place, the most holy place. It says the, the curtain of the temple was torn in two, from top to bottom. This curtain was super tall and three to four feet thick. It's gonna take some big hands to grab the top of this curtain 
and to rip it in two from top to bottom. I wonder who did that. You see, at the point of Jesus dying on the cross at the crucifixion where he gave his body and his own blood, God the Father sees it as the acceptable sacrifice. And he says, there is now access. And he rips open the curtain. And there's now access to God. And so the third reason is that Jesus is the final sacrifice providing us direct access to God. And that's why he's greater. Now there's one more reason of why Jesus is the great high priest. And in Hebrews 7.26, it says it in a, in, a, in a really short manner. It just says, it is fitting. It is indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest. What, what kind of high priest? Holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, exalted above the heavens. What's he saying? What's the point here? Well, the fourth reason I'll give you why Jesus was the great high priest, greater than any other high priest, was simply this. Jesus is the only one who could get the job done. That's it. He's the only one who could get the job done. Get what job done? Well, I'm gonna remind you of these four reasons real quick. He lives to make intercession for us. No other high priest continues to live and continues to make intercession for us. Jesus gave his body and his blood to secure our forgiveness and our eternity. No other high priest was able to do that. Jesus is the final sacrifice, providing us direct access to God. No other high priest was able to do that. And Jesus is the only one who could get the job done. You see, when we begin to unwrap the name of Jesus, great high priest, we begin to realize the accomplishment that he has accomplished on our behalf. And that's accomplishment number one, is that Jesus is my, he is your living redeemer. He is alive today. Accomplishment number two is that Jesus has perfect knowledge of my life. We see this in verse 15. It says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. What's this verse communicating? It's communicating that Jesus lived a physical life just like you and I live a physical life. And Jesus was tempted with sin just like you and I are tempted with sin. But there's one key difference between Jesus' experience with the temptation to sin and your and my experience with the temptation to sin. And this is the difference. You and I, we give in too quickly. You see, people will say things like this. They'll say, Jesus can't possibly understand my life because he was perfect and I've sinned so much and and I have all all this temptation and he can't possibly know. No, no, you see, you've got it backwards. You can't possibly know what it's like to resist temptation like Jesus has because you've given in too quickly. You see, what Jesus did is temptation came and he resisted. And it kept coming, and he kept resisting. And it kept coming, and he kept resisting. And temptation after temptation after temptation after temptation, he continued to resist. All the weight and the force of the temptation of sin constantly coming at him. And he never stopped fighting against it. And so Jesus knows more fully than you know the temptation to sin. Because he's outlasted us in his fight against it. And he can know more than we will ever know 
what it is to fight against the temptation to sin. He's experienced pain. He's experienced suffering, sorrow. He's experienced what we have gone through. But the difference is, is Jesus perfected the human experience. He was the perfect human. In Psalm 139, King David explains how he understands God to know everything about him. And he says it in this way, Oh Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down. You're acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, oh Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before you lay your hand on me. What is King David saying? He's saying he understands that God knows more about his life than even he knows about his life, which is why he says in verse six, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Jesus knows the whole truth about your life. He knows every detail about your life. And here's what's crazy. If Jesus were to actually share with you the entire truth about your life, you wouldn't be able to handle it. It is too wonderful for me, King David writes. It is high. I cannot attain it. It's why when we get to the end of the psalm, King David simply says this. He says, search me, O God. Know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any grievous way in me. What would happen if God did that? Have you welcomed God to search you? Have you welcomed God to know your heart? Have you welcomed God to try you and know your thoughts? Have you welcomed God to see if there's any grievous way? What what would God's conclusion be if he were to do that with you? I know what would it be if he would do it with me. He would find a whole lot of bad stuff. And my sin would be exposed. And King David knew that, which is why at the end of the psalm, he lets out a plea, lead me. Don't leave me in that place, (laughs) in the examination room. Lead me in the way of everlasting. Lead me in the way of eternal life. You know, it's a wonderful thing to be fully known by Jesus. He is our great high priest. And accomplishment number one is that Jesus is my living redeemer. Accomplishment number two is that Jesus has perfect knowledge of my life. And accomplishment number three is that Jesus gives me mercy and grace. We see this in verse 16. It says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace in our time of need. I want to invite our musicians to come up at this time. They're going to share a, a really neat song with us that's going to help us understand these, these last two points and really this concept of, of receiving mercy and grace. You know, I don't know if you're anything like me, but if you're anything like me, you know what it is to be afraid to come honestly to God. And maybe you have experienced times where you couldn't feel like you could do it because you were afraid of what would happen because you had fear of punishment. You know what? There's a term for a person 
who is afraid to come to God, who's afraid to be exposed, who's afraid about what the punishment might be. There's a term for that. You know what that term is? It is normal. And that's what's crazy about our great high priest is because when we approach his throne of grace, we find a gift. And the gift we find is mercy and grace to help us in our time of need. Mercy is not giving somebody what they deserve. And Jesus gives you a gift by not giving you what you earned. Grace is giving somebody something they didn't deserve. And Jesus gives you a gift by giving you something that you didn't deserve. Jesus is merciful and he is gracious. And he welcomes us. Come. Come and you're going to find what you need. See, that's the role of the great high priest. He has gotten us access into the throne room of God. And the cross of Christ sets off a chain reaction that includes the separation between us and the most holy place being ripped wide open. That we might enter into the presence of God through Jesus Christ and him alone. You see, he is our great high priest and he has accomplished much. He has accomplished being our living redeemer. Jesus is our living redeemer. Jesus has perfect knowledge of our life. And Jesus, he welcomes us and he gives us a gift of mercy and grace. You see, he knows everything about you. And it is a wonderful thing to be fully known by Jesus. It's a wonderful thing to be fully known and loved. By Jesus. Friends, I'm fully known and loved by you. Wow. Maybe, maybe today you're ready to receive God's forgiveness. You see, that's the role of the great high priest. He has given us access to God and where we, before we did not have the opportunity to be at peace with God, now we have the opportunity to be at peace with God through Jesus Christ. Then I would invite you, if you're ready to receive God's forgiveness today, I would invite that we would take four steps together. We'd take four steps that we might have peace with God. And the first step is, is what the song was about. It's, it's where we just ended. And it's just that discover that God loves you and has an awesome plan for you. The reality that the God of heaven in the most holy place, in the throne room of heaven, that he loves you. That is an un. It's a reality that is hard to even grasp. That God knows you and he loves you. When God sees you, he loves you. When God thinks about you, he loves you. Amen. 
It's not like when God looks at you, he's like, uh-oh. I think I had an oopsie on that one. No, see, God loves you and he cares for you. And he has an incredible plan for your life. And his plan for you is him. You see, Jesus said this in the Gospels. He said, for God so loved the world that he gave, he gave a gift. And the gift he gave was his son. It was Jesus Christ. That whoever believes in Jesus should not perish but have eternal life. To perish is to be separated from God forever. And God does not want that for you because he loves you. And he is inviting you to believe in him. You know, Jesus made a comparison. He said, the thief, the thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. But he compares that and contrasts that to himself. And he says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. The reason that Jesus came was so that you might have the fullness of life that you were meant to live. And that's why step one is to discover that God loves you and he has a plan for you. Step two is to understand that there's a problem, that man is sinful and that he's separated from God. This is easy to understand. It's easy to understand. Just think back to what happened in your brain or in your actions when that guy cut you off in traffic this last week. It's easy to understand that we're not perfect. I'm not perfect. If you want to know and have factual evidence that I'm not perfect, have a four-second conversation with my wife. <laughs> or ask any of my kids. I got a ton of kids. Just grab a kid you see, they might be mine. <laughs> All right? And ask them if I'm a perfect dad. You see, this is, what, this is what it says in Romans chapter 3. It says, for all of us have sinned. And we fall short of the glory of God. You see, God is perfect, and his throne room is perfection. And on our own, we don't even come close. And in Romans chapter 6, it says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, sin is a horrible master. Sin's a horrible master. And sin, as master, gives a wage. And the wage that master sin gives is death. But God is a wonderful master. And God as master gives a gift. And the gift that God gives as master is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so step two is understanding that there's a problem that we have sin. Step three is to hear the good news. It's the gospel. It's the good news about Jesus Christ that God sent his son to die for you for your sins. And that's Jesus Christ in his role as the great high priest. It says this in the scriptures in Romans 5, 8, that God shows his love for us, that he demonstrates his love. He proves his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While I was ignoring him, working against him, the Bible says I was his enemy, it was in that state that God chose to die for me. The scriptures in 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 4, it says, For I delivered to you as of first importance. What's the most important message? 
that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. You see, that's what makes him the great high priest is, is when he died on the cross for us and he became the acceptable sacrifice and the curtain that separated us between God and the most holy place was ripped wide open, it was in that moment that our sin was taken care of. But God doesn't stop there, you see, because then Jesus is buried, and on the third day, he raises to new life. And so not only is our sin taken care of on the cross, but death itself is conquered in Jesus Christ in the resurrection. And that's great news. Jesus said this, he said, I'm the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father, no one gets to the most holy place, no one gets to heaven, except through me. Step three is to hear the good news, that God sent his son to die for your sin. And step four is simply how I started. Would you like to receive God's forgiveness? Would you like to receive forgiveness from God today? See, in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, it says this, for by grace you've been saved through faith. That's, that's how it happens. It's by the grace of God. It's, it's a gift we don't deserve, that we've been saved through faith. That's our part is to believe, to trust, to believe, to have faith. And then God throws in something for guys like me, and he says, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God not a result of work so that no one may boast. And I am convinced that that passage is there because of guys like me, because it says, Joel, check your arrogance at the door. I don't need your help. Just come humbly. See, I want to take credit for everything, and I want to work my way to earn it. And God says, that's not how this is going to go down. This is going to be all me, giving you a gift. And you're never going to get to brag about it. You doing it on your own. The only thing we get to brag about is Jesus. Amen. And the scripture summarizes it in one sentence in, the, in Acts. And, and it says this in just one simple sentence. What should we do? Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Amen. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. And my encouragement to you is if you want to have the forgiveness of God, then to do just that. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. There's a, a prayer that's gonna come up on the screen and I'm gonna walk us through this prayer and this prayer helps explain what we might want to express to God right now. And this is the prayer. Dear God, I know I'm a sinner. And I ask for your forgiveness. I believe Jesus Christ is your son. And I believe that he died for my sin. And that you, God, that you raised him, Jesus, to new life. And I want to. I want to trust him as my savior and follow him as my Lord, from this day forward, guide my life and help me. See, it's, just, it's expressing to God, Lord, we need your help. Help me to do your will. 
And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now, if you're here today and you are ready to receive God's forgiveness, we're going to pray this prayer together. I just wanted to walk through it first so that we could understand what is it, what is it we're saying. We're going to pray this prayer together. And if you want to receive God's forgiveness, pray this prayer along with me. And let's celebrate that there is mercy and grace at the throne of God for us. Let's pray together. If you want to pray this prayer, just say the prayer with me. Dear God, I know I'm a sinner. And I ask for your forgiveness. I believe Jesus Christ is your son. And I believe that he died for my sin. And that you, God, that you raised him, Jesus, to new life. And I want to trust him as my Savior and follow him as Lord from this day forward. Guide my life and help me to do your will. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right. Now, I got a question for you. And my question is simple. My question is just this. Did you just pray that prayer? And did you just receive God's forgiveness? And if you did, I just want you to do something very simple. I just want you to raise your hand so that we could know that you prayed that prayer and we could rejoice with you. So if you prayed that prayer, just raise your hand. Don't be shy. Just raise your hand. Awesome. Very cool. Awesome. Great. That's great. Very cool. That's awesome. Hey, that's wonderful. Now, here's what, here's what the scriptures teach. The scriptures teach that when you do that, when you receive the forgiveness of God, that in heaven, celebration erupts and that there's a party going on. And if there's a party going on in heaven, I do not want to be missing out on that party. And so I'm going to ask you to do something. And when I ask you to do it, you're not going to like me. I already know that. <laughs> I'm still going to ask. I'm going to ask you to do something you're not going to want to do. But this is what I'm going to ask you to do because there's a party that needs to be celebrated when people receive the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. I'm going to ask you to do this, that on the count of three, when I count to three, that you would stand. You're like, this guy... Now I know, I know what's going to happen. You're going to feel like there is Velcro on your rear end stucking you to the seat. You're going to feel stuck right there. I know it. But I'm going to ask you to stand anyway. And let's celebrate that God has given forgiveness. So if today you're praying that prayer, you're receiving the forgiveness of God on the count of three, I want to encourage you to stand and we're going to celebrate together. One, two, three. Stand up right where you are. Awesome. Very cool. Hey, how great is that? That's awesome. Hey, how great is that? Right on. Very cool. Very cool. Right on. Awesome. Hey, that's great. Wow. Wow. That's awesome. That's awesome. Now, wow, that's really cool. All right. Hey, I got one more thing. One more thing. You're like, this guy does not let up. Here's all I want to do for everyone who just stood. 
I just want to pray for you. I just want to pray for you. And I want to pray for you in a, in, a, in a moment where we can look each other in the eyes and just celebrate what God is doing in your life. And so this is what I'm going to do. We're going to walk right through those doors right there. There's a room that we can pray in right there. Look, just give me three minutes, all right? 180 seconds. Your friends can stop, watch, you know, and wait for you, all right? Just don't start to watch till we all get in there, all right? And just want to pray for you, and we just want to celebrate what God is doing in your life. So if you just stood, you're going to stand back up and you're going to walk with me and we're going to just walk in there and we're just going to take a moment to pray together. That's all I want to do. Look, I am not going to try and sell you a timeshare, okay? (laughs) I just want to pray with you. That's it. All right? I just want to pray with you. And so if you stood, if you prayed that prayer, if you're receiving God's forgiveness today, we're just going to walk right now You're going to stand up. This place is going to blow up. We're going to cheer. They're going to kick off the music. And we are just going to have a great time praying together. And it's that simple. So let's do it. Let's stand up and let's walk over here together. All right, come on.